Awesome. All right. Hey, as we, uh, as we get started on this new series, Unlocking Freedom, I want to ask you, if you would, to find Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, uh, there's some on those back tables right back there in our giving tables. Here's the, uh, here's the whole idea of this un- Unlocking Freedom series. Uh, many of you maybe heard that, uh, this idea that we're free in Christ, that in Christ Jesus we are free. And yet, for many of us, myself included a lot of times, we struggle to feel free. We feel trapped by things in this world. We feel trapped by our own story sometimes. Uh, there are so many things that can make us feel like slaves and so what, is it, what does it look like to unlock this freedom in Christ? And uh, we're going to do that by journeying through the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a, a letter that Paul wrote to uh, a group of churches in this area called Galatia. And um, uh, he's, he's unlocking this idea of what does it mean to be free in Christ, to keep in step with Christ and to experience true freedom in him. So... Um, Galatians 1, and while you guys uh, find that, and I I find it, whether it's on your phone or you need to go grab a Bible, find it, because we're going to walk through the text, all right? Uh, I want to ask you guys if you've ever watched the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Show of hands, anybody ever seen that show? Okay, so when that show was in its prime, I was a uh, a young, rough college guy, and uh, I, true confessions, I loved Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Uh, I would find myself sometimes on Sunday nights sitting in a dorm room with, like, getting misty-eyed, right? I'm like, I'm a tough college guy, and the guys are walking in, and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing, nothing. I'm just watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Uh, I loved it, man. Those were, those were incredible stories, and the generosity of uh, these people who were coming on and giving these families these amazing homes. It was so incredible. Uh, families in need were, were being given free houses. I mean, how crazy is that? It was, it was just this contagious generosity. It made you want to go out and do something good for people. But the thing that, that has happened as that show has waned is uh, people didn't realize that those free houses still had to have taxes and utilities paid on them. And so families who were living in homes that were maybe 1,000 or 1,500 square feet were all of a sudden living in homes that, whose value was so much more that the taxes and utilities were more than their original mortgage payment was. And so um, if you go and you start to Google that now, what you'll find is that dozens, literally dozens of these homes have either been foreclosed upon or they've had to have been sold. Um, The families aren't even able to live in them anymore. Um, People are borrowing against their own home just to pay the utilities and the taxes on them. And so, uh, you know, I think it, it teaches this idea, you know, it reinforces this thing that the word free um, has very little meaning in our society, right? Uh, everybody wants to give you something free, uh, and it's because we've attached it loosely to the things that we don't have to pay for right now, right? If we can just get something and take something with us and we don't have to pay for it in the moment, it's like it's free. Uh, but stories like uh, what we're talking about here with the Extreme Makeover uh, teaches us that somebody always pays, right? Someone always pays for something that's free. And if you don't know who paid for your free gift, your free gift will cost you. If you don't know who paid for your free gift, your free gift will cost you. And Paul, the author of Galatians, he understood that about God's gift of grace. You know, we talk about grace a lot here. The, the free gift of God that comes with eternal love and eternal life with Jesus. Grace. 
But he understood that that the gift of grace was free because Jesus had paid for it. He understood that the gift of grace came with freedom in Christ, but he knew that, that Jesus had paid for it. Paul recognizes that, that from the top, that true freedom can never come from, from something or from some human or something that humans bring or give, but it can only come from, from God. And so that's, where, that's the frame of mind that we want to come to Galatians with. And so as we begin into Galatians, we're going to start and we're just going to work through the first few verses and kind of take this one idea at a time. Galatians 1, 1 through 5 says this, Paul, an apostle, Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, this is a really interesting phrase here. Paul's introducing himself, and he feels the need to to stop. And he says, I'm not from men, nor through man, but I'm through Jesus. That's that's who who I am. That's who I'm coming from. And it's not just that, but it's also a statement about how we experience this freedom in Christ, right? There's nothing that, that you and I can get from a man or from human um, that, that is going to give us true freedom, but only what is through Jesus Christ. He goes on, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Even in this introduction, Paul gives us this picture of what freedom is like. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, who gave himself, there's Jesus paying for grace, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. A free gift can only be given by the one who paid for it. A free gift can only be given by the one who who really paid for it. Somebody might be able to give you something and say it's free, but somebody had to pay for it. And for that gift to mean something, it can only be given by the one who paid for it. Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget that? It's amazing how quickly we forget that that this freedom that we all long for, the freedom that we can have in Christ, had to be paid for. We forget that. We forget that Jesus paid for our freedom. And the people that Paul was writing to forgot as well. And when they forgot, it blew Paul's mind. We go on to verse 6, and the word that they use in verse 6 in the English Standard Version, it says, Paul says, I am astonished. I'm astonished. This word, it literally means I, I, like, wo- like wonder and amazement. Like, I'm amazed. My mind is blown, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So these people, they had turned from grace to a different gospel. It's really interesting that that Paul uses that language. The word gospel literally means good news. And so what Paul's getting at here is that these people of Galatia, they had turned to, to something else that was good. It wasn't like they were turning from Jesus and, and going back to their sinful lives. It wasn't like they were turning to something terrible, but they were turning to something else in their life that, that was bringing good things in their life. How often do we do that? We turn from grace, and we turn to something that's still pretty good. We think it's, we think it's okay. In the Galatians case, here's what's going on in their story. 
Paul had come and he had preached the gospel. He said, Jesus died on the cross, right? Jesus died on the cross to give you grace, eternal life, a life of freedom. And all you have to do is trust Jesus because he's already paid for the free gift. And they're like, yes, we want that. We want grace. But then somebody else came behind Paul and they said, oh, did you forget about all the religious laws? Did you forget about all those? One of which was circumcision. This is, this is personal. This is really personal. They said, you've got you to make sure you're following all the laws too. It's a good thing to, to maybe live morally or to live by the rules. You've got you to have that good news in your life. And Paul says, it is blowing my mind that you would, that you would trade in the free gift of grace for moral living, for the laws, for the rules. But that's exactly what the people of Galatia were doing. They were trading grace for something really good, which is the law. So what's turning you from grace? What's turning you from grace? You know, sometimes we feel stuck in our current situation. We feel stuck in our own story, and we take it on our own shoulders to free ourselves up. Of phrases, if I could only, right, and then we, we, we turn to, to ourself to find freedom. Maybe we go through a tragedy or we go through something difficult and we automatically assume in the middle of that tragedy that it's because we haven't lived a right life. We've done something wrong to bring this upon ourselves. And when you're doing that, mentally what you're saying is, I've turned to moral living. I've given up grace and I've turned to moral living because what happens in this world is dependent upon my good behavior. Maybe we feel trapped by the sins of our past and we find ourselves feeling like we have to to fix our past before we can really experience freedom in our present. And if that's you and if that's where we are, then then again, you're turning to yourself. You're, You're depending on yourself to give yourself freedom. We begin to doubt that that God's grace could really be free. Could grace really be free to me? How could how could such a wonderful gift come to me with no strings attached? So we measure our spiritual life and our success on how right we've been living because it couldn't be totally free. So just in case, I'm going to do the right things. We turn to religion. Maybe we've grown up in a strict or legalistic environment, maybe a very religious environment, a good thing, right? But in that, we've often not experienced the freedom of true grace. And so when that happens, we struggle to give it. If you find yourself struggling to give grace to others, it might be a sign that, that you've turned, again, to that, to that moral living or to self or to, to self-righteousness instead of the gospel of grace. Maybe we're haunted by our mistakes or our experiences, and we mask that by not giving grace to our family, to our friends, and to those who don't know Jesus. What's turning you from grace? What's enslaving you? What's holding you back from true freedom in Christ? What, what's, what's turning you from grace? It's a question to wrestle with. And I think what we see here in the Galatians story is that we can be fooled. Because a lot of times what's turning us from grace isn't something bad. It's something good. It's something good. It's just another good news. But it's not the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, what, that's where Paul starts in Galatians 1. It's where we start in unlocking freedom by realizing this. False freedom 
is the truest slavery. False freedom is the truest slavery. Some of the best things in life actually serve as some of the most enslaving and trapping things because they are void of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Paul, the guy who wrote this, had a story of of being trapped before knowing Christ. But it's not a story that you would expect, okay? Paul was, was working on becoming the most devout, the most religious, the most faithful Jew that anyone could ask for. He was rising in the ranks, right? He was doing everything that was asked of him to become this high, respected, powerful religious leader. He knew the Old Testament writings. He guarded the law fiercely. According to the law, he, he did the right things. He was doing everything in his power to make sure that he was successful at being a Jew. And in his mind, right, he's thinking, if, if I could just become a successful Jew, Jewish leader, then, then surely freedom would come. If I, could, if I could just become a successful Jewish leader, then I'd be in a position of power. If I could just become a Jewish leader, I'd be respected and, and free to live life as I wished. And I think for so many of us, we might find a little bit of our story in Paul's. If I could just do this, if I could just get to this point, if I could just make this much, if I could just live here, if I could just do these things, then I might experience the freedom that I've always longed for. And that's the picture of what the Galatians were experiencing when Paul says, I'm astonished, my mind is blown that you would turn from this gospel of grace, this free gift, and trade it in for Another good news. Another good news. Galatians 1, 13 and 14 uh, puts this picture, this story in a picture. Paul's writing, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul was so religious, so devout, that anybody who was not keeping the rules to a T and, and those who were a part of the church, he was beginning to persecute them. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was on the trajectory for success. His story was was steeped in success. But it all changed. His destination changed when Jesus got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. He blinded Paul, we read about in the book of Acts. He blinded him with a bright light. And if I'm Paul, I'm wondering, why, God? Why would you do this to me when I've tried to do everything right? Why would you do this to me when I've tried to be religious, when I've, when I've tried to uphold the law? Why, God, why would you do this? But Paul's destination wasn't to be someone great. Paul's destination was to be filled with grace. That was the end game for Paul in God's eyes. He talks about that in the next couple of verses, 15 and 16. Paul tells his story and he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. A moment of change. A moment where freedom began to truly be unlocked in Paul's life. When Paul turned from the good things and found the great thing of grace. Paul's story and Galatians 1 teach us that false freedom is the truest slavery. The things that we think will lead to our freedom often aren't if they don't 
center on the grace of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing worse than being trapped by good things that aren't God things. There's nothing worse than being stuck with a great life and never having experienced true grace. There's nothing worse than trying to do it your way, only to find out that your way doesn't lead to the destination that you'd want to go. False freedom is the truest slavery. I want to jump back real quick to verse 10. Uh, Our preaching and teaching team often rally around these verses and, and try to learn and sharpen each other. And Jeff Bracken pointed this out in verse 10. I loved it. Verse 10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And Jeff pointed out, he said, you know, what you see is that if you are a servant of yourself, if you're always trying to serve yourself, or even if you're a servant of others, even if you're a servant of others, you're in true bondage. You think, wait a second. If I'm, if I'm serving my, my family or my friends or the people in my community, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in bondage? That is, we talk about serving all the time. Yes. But it's when we are servant of Christ that we unlock freedom. And we serve others because we're serving Christ. Matthew 25 writes that when we serve even the least of these, you are serving Christ. And so we must come at it with the heart and the mind of serving Christ. And in that, we will find true freedom. You know, false freedoms are often found after the phrase, and we've heard it a couple times already, if I can just, and then you fill in that blank, right? If I can just hit this goal, if I can just make it through today, if I can just figure this part out, if I can just hit this sales mark, if I can just get by with this, and and those things often give us a clue as to what we are trapped by, the false freedoms that are holding us back. Mentally, we're trapped into the idea that we have to do something on our own to grab hold of grace. We have to do something on our own. If I can just do this, then, then I will be able to, to deserve the grace that God is giving me. I will be able to get grace for myself. But that's not how grace works. Oftentimes, when we hit those barriers, when we're stuck, it's because God wants to draw us back to himself. He wants us to, to be reminded that he is the one who gives us all things. Ephesians 2 8 through 10 explains how grace works. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how do you live a changed life? How do you live a life that's truly free in Christ? How do you walk in the good things that God has given to you? How do you unlock freedom that comes with living for Christ and not for yourself or others? The key is in those verses, 15 and 16, where Paul writes about being changed. Each of us must embrace what God has called us to do in, in this season of life. You have to be obedient day in and day out with the steps and the opportunities that God asks you to take. You have to respond to the grace that God is giving you this day. When I was in middle school, um, I, uh, I played a board game called Risk. Anybody ever played Risk? A couple people. All right. It's like a war strategy game, okay? It was, I don't know, it was a middle school thing. Board games. Now they play video games. I don't know why. I'm getting older by the day. But I wanted, I wanted the board game Risk for Christmas. And um, 
It was like all I wanted. You know, they asked for a Christmas list. The only thing I wanted was this board game. And that year, we had a ton of snow. So we'd missed like the whole last week of school. Uh, we were getting cabin fever, and I just wanted risk. And um, I remember I, I went to bed on Christmas Eve thinking, I've only asked for one thing, so surely I'm going to get that one thing. And um, I wake up on Christmas morning, I come out to the living room, and there it is. In all of its glory, Risk is sitting on the couch. And so, uh, I, like, I am pumped. I'm excited. Uh, I'm that awkward middle school boy that's probably, I don't know, just being crazy. And I, I, like, I go and I open it up. And whenever you open up a board game, there's all these little mini figurines and like little soldier guys in a, in a box of Risk. And so I open it up. And all I see is like these huge sheets of like plastic figurines that are like all attached and not broken out. Like the, the, the game is completely unassembled, like buzzkill. <laughs> You're like, man, I just wanted to play Risk. And so um, then I realize there's a foot of snow on the ground and none of my friends are going to even be able to play this game with me. So here I am. I've gotten this gift this incredible gift, the only thing I wanted, and I'm stuck sitting in my living room with an unassembled board game that I don't even have anybody to play with. I'm like, wow, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to me. So, um, so the very next thing I do, I have nobody to play with, so I just start getting all these pieces ready. And as I'm getting all these pieces ready, I'm the oldest of four boys. I'm in middle school. They're all younger. And you can imagine what three younger brothers wanted to do to all these little mini figurines. And I'm like, get back, get back. And I'm taking all these pieces apart and doing this. Why do I tell that story? I tell that story because I think oftentimes that's a picture of what it looks like for us to, to journey with this gift of grace that we've been given, right? The only thing that so many of us want is, is freedom. We want hope. We want grace. Even if we don't know how to say that, that's what we want. We want a life that doesn't end, a life that, that goes on forever and is full of love from our, our Heavenly Father. That's what we're made for. That's what we want. And Jesus gave us that gift when He came and He died on the cross and, and he, he spent three days in the tomb and He came back to life so that we could live forever. He gave us that incredible gift and called it grace. And for so many of us, when we hear it for the first time, we, we receive it and we're excited and then we're not entirely sure what to do with it, right? We, we just kind of feel stuck in what we do with it after that. Embracing what God has called you to do with your, with your life happens in much the same way. So as we look back at 15 and 16, I think there's kind of three things that we can realize and, and think about as, in terms of unwrapping our calling, unwrapping this gift of grace that God has given to us so that we might learn one step at a time what it looks like to live in the freedom of Christ. The first is to realize that God sets you apart. I want you to think about that for a minute in terms of you. Just be selfish and think about yourself for a minute. God sets you apart. God sets you apart. Paul writes, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, Paul recognizes that God had set him to the side. There was something special for Paul. He stops and he realizes that. And, and we need to stop and realize that God has made us each uniquely with gifts and passions and abilities. And too often we want to mess that up by comparing ourselves to others. 
We don't want to value how he's made us, how he's set us apart, and we want to compare ourselves to others, and we try to keep up with others. But let me tell you this, God sets you apart on purpose. He sets you apart. He sets you off to the side on purpose. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. He wants each of us to become like his son, and he's given us different gifts and passions and abilities to work together in doing that. And as God shapes us to be more like Christ, those experiences become a part of our story that tells the grace we've been shown. Romans 12 then throws down this challenge with our gifts, passions, and abilities. Verse 6 says, having gifts that differ, right? Paul calls out in Romans the fact that we're going to have different gifts, passions, and abilities. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use them. So number one, we have to realize that God sets us apart. God sets you apart. And number two, you've got to unwrap your calling. Paul writes, and who called me by his grace. What is calling? What does that word even mean? What, what does it mean to be called by God? What am I supposed to do with that? Calling is, is we can make it like weird and like way up here. But on its base level, calling is about fighting to be who God made you to be. It's about harnessing those gifts, skills, and abilities that God has given you to be more like him. It's about fighting to get your life now ready for the eternal life that you're going to spend with him in heaven if you have trusted Jesus with your life. I love what 1 Timothy 6.12 says. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. We hear that a lot sometimes. Fight the good fight of the faith. But why are we fighting? To take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Our calling is about taking hold of the eternal life that we have been promised in God and in grace. You have to fight to be who God made you to be. That's how you unwrap your calling as a child of God. When you fight to live out your faith in every nook and cranny of your life, when you fight to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian on Monday and on Tuesday and on Thursday night when the kids won't go to bed or whenever it is, when you fight in every nook and cranny of your life to live out your faith, you're fighting to take hold of the perfect eternal life that God has already given to you and called you to be in grace. Unwrap that thing. Unwrap that calling by fighting to live like Jesus no matter what you're doing. Realize that you're set apart. Unwrap your calling. And finally, keep it close. I love what Paul writes here. He says, he was a, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not immediately consult with anyone. You know, the only one that can help you know what you are to do is the one who made you. And if what you're doing with your life is, is from God, if it's your calling, you'll continue to talk to him about it. If what you're doing with your life is con consistently drawing you into relationship with him, you're going to know that you're being obedient. You can have that confidence. And so just ask yourself the question, can I talk to God about what I'm doing with my life? Am I walking towards him or away from him? And, and as you walk towards him, you'll know that you're, you're keeping it close. Paul says, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. I didn't go to my friends and ask them what they thought I was good at. I didn't, I didn't just run around and say, hey, what do you think I should do with my life? Not that those are bad things because they can help us refine it. But our callings come from God. And so whatever those things are, 
there's a, there's a season, there's a moment where we don't consult with anyone but the one who made us, the one who set us apart and gave us that calling. Paul finishes his story here in Galatians 1 by giving us a picture of what freedom in Christ looks like. He shows us how being truly free changes everything about us, the way we think, the way we live, the words we say. Verse 22, he writes, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Do you remember what we read about Paul just a few verses earlier? He said, here is my story. I was advancing in Judaism. I was well known among the people of my age. But then Jesus changed my life. Then Jesus began to unlock who I am and what I was made to do. And he unlocked my calling and he began to unlock freedom in my life. And now I'm unknown in person to the churches of Judea. Hallelujah. You think, wait a second. That's not what I thought the story was going to be. Paul says, no, that's it. I was unknown to the churches, and in that I found freedom because they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. How often do we want us to be glorified because of God moving? Paul found true freedom. Paul found true freedom. When he lived the life that God had for him instead of the life that he wanted. We will only live in freedom when we live the life that Jesus paid for us to live. We will only live in freedom when we live the life that Jesus paid for us to live. So the question is, are you doing that? Are you living the life that Jesus paid for you to live or are you living the life that you want to? Stephen alluded to, to 9-11. Obviously, when you have a day like that, and you're beginning a series entitled Unlocking Freedom, there's some parallels, right? So much to do with the freedom of America when you think about 9-11. And I read this story just this morning. There was a story that was told by uh, the men of Ladder 6, a company of the New York City Fire Department. And there were several firemen, I think there were seven, if I remember correctly, who were helping to, to get victims out of the building on 9-11. And one of those was a 69-year-old woman by the name of Josephine. Josephine was on the 73rd floor of the World Trade Center. 73rd floor. And so these brave men, they're in 110 pounds of equipment, right? And they begin leading Josephine down 73 flights of stairs. I want you to think about that for a minute. 73 flights of stairs. I can go to the hospital in Louisville, climb five, and be done. Like, call it a day. That's, that's my work as a pastor today. I climbed to the fifth floor. 73 floors. 69 years old. The author wrote, at times she was ready to give up, but they helped. They encouraged. They inspired. And they assured her she would make it. Later, Josephine would say this, they were like angels to me. She would stop to catch her breath, and they would stop her. She started to shiver with fear, and one gave her his jacket, one floor at a time. 
One floor at a time, they got her down until finally she could walk no more. She literally collapsed, and she collapsed on the fourth floor. She collapsed on the fourth floor. And so these firemen who had now journeyed 69 floors of stairs with Josephine, they tried to help her up, and they couldn't, so they all just sat down on the fourth floor. And as they sat down, they heard and felt the floors beneath them begin to give away. One of the guys even prayed, God, if this is it, please let it be quick. Have mercy on us, right? Have mercy on us, God. As the noise lessened and the smoke began to clear, they found that they had settled over the rubble of the caved-in floors below them. It's a miracle, right? Josephine had refused to go any further at the one point that remained intact as the building fell. All seven firemen plus Josephine were eventually brought into safety because they stopped on the fourth floor. They wrote, Had we continued descending when we were pleading with her to keep moving, we would have been killed by the crush of the floors above us. And one of them added, Josephine was like an angel, the very thing that she said about them, sent from God to stop us so that we could be safe. And what strikes me about that story is each one embraced their calling. Each one was obedient to what God was telling them in the moment. Sometimes it's hard to know what that is, but, but am I doing the right thing? This is Dr. Mooneyhan's thing for life. Do the right thing, right? Am I doing the right thing? Am I being obedient? Because as I do that, and as I unwrap this calling, this gift of grace from God in the moments, I will unlock the freedom that we have in Christ. Dave and the band are going to come and lead us in our time of response. There's lots of ways to respond as we think about embracing the freedom that we have in Christ. But I want to come back to that question that I asked you just a moment ago. Are you living the life that Jesus paid for you to live? Are you living the life that Jesus paid for you to live? Grace is free to us, but only because Jesus paid for it.